I am glad that you could be here today. And I hope you have a Bible with you and you'll open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, parents, make sure your kids are tuning in right now. I want to say something to the kids, okay? Part of what Paul talks about in this chapter is going to be a little hard for younger kids especially to understand. And so you younger kids, if you don't understand some of the words that Paul uses or that I use, don't worry about it. Your parents will explain it to you later, okay? It's something you'll need to know as you get older and your parents can best decide when that is and they'll share these things with you. So uh, there may be a few things that you just don't know. That doesn't mean in the middle of the sermon, say, Dad, Mom, what does that mean? Just, just wait. They'll explain it to you, you know, in 10 years or so. And, and then uh, there is a lot that you will be able to understand. So focus on what you can get. Focus on what applies into your life. And then ask yourself, what do I need to do? How do I need to change because of God's Word? And so the title of the message is, I Am Becoming. I am becoming, and I know you're saying, what, right? You're expecting a blank there. I am becoming, fill in the blank. Well, the truth is you are becoming. Everybody is. Because you are right now older than you were when I got up here to preach by a couple of minutes. And uh, every week you get older by 168 hours. You are never going to be this young again. And some of you are thinking, I've been thinking that for 80 years. I know, but, uh, but you're never going to be this young again. So you are in the process of becoming. Your body is changing. Cells are dying. I know, I can look at you. Some of you have had some brain cells dying this morning. Actually, all of you have. Your brain cells die and new ones pop up. It, that's what happens. It's a growth process. So you are in the process of becoming. What you are becoming is in large part up to you. Who you are becoming is in large part up to you. You have to decide what you're becoming and who you're becoming. But you are becoming. You are different than you were. And that's God's plan in human lives. So in uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6, we see very the very sins that uh, could have kept you out of heaven can also be forgiven, okay? So I know you have your Bibles there. A lot of you have them open, and that's great. I'm glad you have your Bibles. But for this, I want you to look up here on the screen, and I want to compare 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, and the latter part of 13, and then with 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. So I'm going to read the left side of that first, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. So this is a fellow believer who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. That's what he says in chapter 5. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, at the fact that grace does not ignore sin, that 
We can't show more grace than God does. We have to obey God in how we respond to brothers and sisters in Christ who are in open sin. Right? Now, chapter 6, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That means they will not get into heaven. Those who do these things, they're not going to make it into heaven. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, uh, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Now, there's something really amazing that we see between these two passages, but I want you to see the connection between the two. Chapter 5, he's saying these things should not be done by believers. Chapter 6, he's saying these things can actually keep you out of heaven. Their sins, all sin can keep you out of heaven. And so I want you to see the connection between these two. First, chapter 5, he says sexually immoral. Chapter 6, he describes it as fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites. Chapter 5 and chapter 6 both talk about those who are covetous, those who are greedy and, and yearning for things. Uh, then idolaters, those who are worshiping other things. In America, we worship self and we worship stuff. Uh, that's the, the primary religion of America is believe in yourself or uh, chase after things, material things. Uh, that's a kind of idolatry. In some parts of the world, they actually have idols. I remember when I was a kid, I went into a friend's basement, and he opened up this shrine in the basement, and there was an idol. And the family would go in there and worship, and they in invited me to stay and worship with them, and I ran screaming home. Uh, I, I was scared to death. I wasn't a believer, but I knew this was really scary. Um, and then he talks about revilers, those who are scornful and attacking others. There's a lot of politicians and journalists who fit this category. Uh, drunkards. Um, and then extortioners, those trying to get stuff from other people. So here he's saying believers should never do this stuff, and this stuff can keep you out of heaven, chapter 5 and chapter 6. Now, the big, huge difference between these two passages is seen in two little words in chapter 5 and two little words in chapter 6. Here they are. Chapter 5, it's who is, and chapter 6 is such were. See, it's not so significant what the sins are. What is significant is where the sins are. Are they in your past? Are they in your present? So I was talking with a friend yesterday, and we were talking about our young adult life, me primarily before I was a Christian, but he even after he was a Christian, we got messed up by alcohol. We got messed up by some of the life choices that we made. We, we both struggled with that. But we got beyond that. That's past. That's not now. And see, if I were dealing with that now, I would not be able to be a pastor. We, we, there's things we have to put behind us. So uh, you are not the person you once were. You're not. You're changing, you're growing. You're also not the person you will be someday. 
I, some of you have been around here long enough, you remember that I had brown hair. I remember when I was a chaplain at DPS and my ID card got messed up and I had to get a new ID card and I asked the lady, I said, so should I put on my thing for hair color? Should I put gray or brown? And she said, oh, put brown. And then I got the picture and I looked back, I said, I should have put gray. You know, it, it changes. My daughter, uh, oldest daughter, when we were in Texas, guys were talking about their hair and mine was starting to go gray. And, and uh, one the guy said, he said, yeah, my hair is pretty wavy. And my daughter said, yeah, it's waving. Bye-bye. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, uh, so we, we, have, we change over time. And I have a friend who was bald in his 20s, and he said, we'll all be bald in heaven because the Bible says there's no parting over there. <laughs> so here's this big, huge idea, kids. This is you too. You are becoming. It's not who you are but it's such were. Where do those sins lie? Are they in the past? Or are they in the present? And you definitely do not want them in the future. So if they're in your present, you should repent and move away from those things. You are growing closer to the Lord or you are drifting further from the Lord. One of the two. You're in motion. So um, the number one thing that I get out of this uh, such were is that God gives you the capacity to overcome every sin through the instruction from His Word, the indwelling of His Spirit, and the partnership with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Every sin is overcomable. So take your Bibles, please, and look in 2 Peter. If you start at the end, you got Revelation, and then Jude, and then 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, and then 2nd Peter. 2nd Peter, I, I want to look at how Peter describes this process of putting those sins behind us and then living for the Lord. And Peter talks about two separate things. First of all, salvation is a gift. It's received by grace. But then spiritual maturity is earned. It is by diligence and repeated effort. That's how we get spiritually mature. So God gives you the capacity to overcome every sin. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this he's writing to believers, all believers, every age from kids to old people. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us, what's it say? All things. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God has put within you what you need to live righteously and godly. It's in there. I used to like the old Prego spaghetti commercials, spaghetti sauce, you know. It's in there. You know, Kathy always adds to it, but... They say it's in there. Uh, but God has put into you. It's inside you. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God has put inside you the capacity to live for Him. 
You don't have to wait until you're old. You can do it now. Some of you are already old. You can still do it. He's put it in you. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God has put this inside you. You have the Holy Spirit of God within you, and you can choose to do what's right. But it's not just a gift from God. It's not just God gave this to me and so I just naturally nice. You know, I used to be mean and obnoxious and then I got saved and oh, now everybody loves me. It's not how it works. There is a gift that God has put in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. But now he calls you to do something about it in uh, 1 Peter 5, uh, chapter 1 and verse 5, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. But also for this very reason, because God has put all this inside you and made it available to you, for this reason, giving all diligence, that's doing it with your heart, really putting yourself into it, giving all diligence, then he says, Add to your faith. And these are the things he says to add. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. You need to add these things. So as we jump back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, such were some of you. Praise God that we have the capacity to overcome all of the sins that have been in our life. God has given us a gift, and then not only has he given us that gift, but now we then have to work at it. Spiritual maturity is earned. So when Paul was describing it to the church in Ephesus, he described it this way, put off the old man, put on the new man, created in Christ Jesus. You stop doing the old things and start doing the new things with diligence pursuing the Lord. In Corinth, they had people who professed to be believers, but they were continuing to live as unbelievers. They were continuing in those sins, and so those sins became what is instead of those sins being such were. They should have put it behind them, and they did not because they were not obeying Christ. So Paul taught them to separate from professing believers who are not following Christ. Grace does not ignore sin. But then he also told them to be welcoming to those who repented of those sins and found new life in Christ. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. God washes away your sins. You were sanctified, set apart to him, but you were justified, made righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God has done this. Such were. Those are past tense things. And we have been able to get beyond them. So let me tell you something. There are believers, some of whom are nice people their whole life. How many of you know somebody who's been basically a nice person their whole life? Yeah. 
I know some. I wasn't one, but I know some. And so sometimes what happens is the people who are always kind of nice, sometimes they forget that God welcomes in those who weren't. And so in, in some churches, they look down on anybody who has not always lived for the Lord. Maybe some people have sins in their past. They might even be embarrassed because of those sins in their past. But they're forgiven. And they're made new in Christ. And we're supposed to welcome them in. Now, if they're continuing in those sins, we're supposed to separate from them. But if they have put them behind them, we're supposed to welcome them in and rejoice in the grace of God that forgives our sins. So I want you to make this personal, and I want you to say this with me, okay? Say this with me, ready? God gives me the capacity to overcome every sin through the instruction from His Word, through the indwelling of His Spirit, and through partnership with my brothers and sisters in Christ. God helps us. God works with us. God gives us the capacity to overcome. So if right now you feel like you are in bondage to a particular sin, maybe even you've had an uh, addiction that has lingered, uh, you can get beyond it. I, I have experienced in my own life the capacity God gives to get beyond the alcohol addiction that I had a long time ago. And I don't have any desire for it, don't have any interest in it. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't even like the smell of it. I'm just not around it. God lets you overcome. So, if you have a lingering sin in your life that's still plaguing you, it's not God's fault. God has given you what you need to overcome. If you're not overcoming it, it's your fault. The good news is other people can help. You can go to Christian counselors. You can get involved in ministry. You can have an accountability partner. There's all kinds of tools available to help you overcome. All right, so the second big idea that I get from this passage is the key to spiritual maturity is not simply avoiding sin or even learning the Bible. It is learning to make wise life choices that are consistent with the Scripture and the Spirit's leading. I know a lot of people, let me rephrase that, I know a few people. I know a few people who consider themselves to be very mature because they know a lot of Bible verses. In fact, Savannah, you just got your citation award. How many Bible verses did you have to memorize to earn that award? It's <laughs> like a thousand. I know it's well over 800. Uh, so she had to memorize a lot of verses over the course. She started early. She started in cubbies and then went all the way through. So she not only did the 10 years to get the citation, but she did all the Sparks and Cubby years before that. So there's like a thousand verses that you had to memorize to do that. But guess what? Memorizing those verses doesn't make Savannah's life magical. 
what, what, ha- what happens is she then has to make it work, incorporate it into her life, make some wise choices. And look at verse number 12. Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All kinds of things are lawful, and, and, but we will not be brought under it. The key to spiritual maturity is making choices that are consistent with the Scripture and the Spirit's leading. That's the mark of spiritual maturity. So guess what? Anybody in here, any age, if you have received Christ as your Savior, you can make wise spiritual choices. You don't have to wait till you're an adult. You don't have to wait till you have gray hair. You can do it now. So the question we should ask is not, is this legal? That's what a lot of people in business, they, is it legal? I haven't broken the law. Well, you can be legal and still do the wrong thing. There's a lot of things that are legal in our country and in our state that God says we shouldn't do as believers. And not and only that, but, but uh, we shouldn't just ask what's wrong with this. Or... Can I, get away, can I get away with this? We should ask instead, here's the question we should ask. Are you listening? Will this glorify God and bring His blessing into my world, into my life, into my family, into my community? Will this glorify God and bring His blessing into my world? That's really what we should ask. Not, could I get away with this? Is there anything in the Bible that prohibits me doing this? That's not the right question to ask. Although, you need to learn those things. But the better question to ask is, is it the right thing? Is it the wise thing? Is it a thing that's going to bring God glory and bring blessings? You see, if it's not helpful, you should reject it. If it's not helping you, you should reject it. And so what has happened in America, there's a subculture of Christianity in which a lot of people are extremely materialistic. They want more stuff. Nicer homes, nicer haircuts, nicer fan clothes, you know, nicer kids, send them to counseling. Yeah, they, they just want all kinds of more stuff. And, and yet, when we read, can you go back to that slide that had the two passages side by side? Um, just jump back to it. You can click the mouse on it. And, and uh, see, look, there's covetous shows up on both ones, right? Covetous is bad, wanting more stuff. Um, and I think we need to be careful as believers that we are investing in the work of the Lord and furthering God's work more than we're padding our own retirement plan or our own home. We need to focus our financial priorities in a spiritual way like God would have us do. So the truth is, if you do not reject the bad stuff, then you hinder your own maturity and you hurt other people. 
Now, again, in verse 13, he says, I will not be brought under the power of any. Um, I'm sorry, that's verse, the end of verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, in verse 13, he says, foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. See, our culture is obsessed with food and drink and with physical intimacy. You know, like people, maybe you're one of them. You get up in the morning and you say, I got to have my coffee. Paul wouldn't have been that guy. Paul would have said, I will not be brought under the power of any. And I know some people say, I need my salsa. Okay, that one's kind of legitimate, but no. Uh, Actually, at one point, I, w- I, I actually felt the shakes because we had run out of salsa. And I told Kathy, please don't buy it for a month. And she knew how grumpy I was without my salsa. She wanted to buy it for me. But I went for a month, and now I can have it and enjoy it or not have it. But when you get under the power of anything, whether it's donuts or coffee or donuts and coffee, And our culture says physical intimacy is a need. That's what our culture says. But God said it's not a need, it's a choice, and it's appropriate only in a committed marriage relationship. So we need to follow God. Any other way of physical intimacy is sin. We do it God's way or we sin. There's no middle ground. So learning to say no is vital to your spiritual health. So here's some, you can say, no, I won't go there because, or yes, I'll do what the Lord, go where the Lord wants me to go. No, I won't do that. Or yes, I'll do what he wants me to do. No, I value my integrity to do much, to, too much to do that thing. Or yes, my integrity is important to God and to me. We can learn to say, no, no, I'm not interested in doing that because, yes, I am interested in honoring God in my life. I'm living for heaven, not just for now. No, or yes, I'll obey the scriptures, and no, I won't ignore it. You need to learn to say the appropriate yeses and the appropriate noes. No, I don't want to go there because, yes, I want to do where, go where God wants me. No, I don't want to do that because, yes, I want to do what God wants. And focus on following Him. Paul said, I will not be brought under the power of any. So, here's another say it with me slide. Can you get to that one? Jump back to that. Say it with me. Here we go. Ready? The key to my spiritual maturity is learning to make wise life choices that are consistent with the Scripture and the Spirit's leading. That's the key to maturity, making those wise choices. Have you ever heard the phrase, sin is sin, to God all sins are equal? Have you heard that? I've heard that a lot, but it's not completely true. So here's the truth, no matter how big or how small, each sin is enough to keep you out of heaven and to put you on the path to hell. Uh, A selfish thought, murder, anything in between those two, 
put you on the way to hell. Some sins have significantly greater consequences in your heart and life. Some sins do. And in fact, Paul then describes that in uh, chapter 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall be one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. When you, when you do that kind of sin, it's more harmful to your body. You see, every thought you think and everything you do actually creates connections in your brain. So you are either reinforcing a connection that exists or you're building a new connection. It's called synapses and neural pathways. And you're either building a new one or you're following an old one. And the more you follow one, the more it gets built in. You have some habits. Like, um, you know, I pull out of my house and I come north and I turn left and I go come in here to the church every day, uh, a couple times a day, some days, and I'm making that drive. And so Kathy and I were going somewhere, we're getting ready to go somewhere, and I need to turn right and go out to the freeway and I'm in the straight through lane. And she says, are we going to church? I'm like, no, no. I get over in the right turn lane because my brain was going on autopilot to the place I go the most and love the most, well, other than home. This is my second favorite place to be. And so that's my pattern. And, and we build these patterns. You know what they call these patterns when they're out there in the dirt? Ruts. They're called ruts because cars dig in and there's a place where I walk and, and there's the, the you, quad, um, you know, the four-wheeled motorcycles, uh, quads, ATVs, they come along there and they get down in the bottom of that and they just wrap it out and you can see the dirt is flown out, you know. And so now it used to be flat ground and now there's these ditches like that deep and then that deep. So if I tried to drive my minivan up that, it would get hung up. Uh, it's too deep. I'd just be sitting there waiting for a tow truck. And, uh, but yet, how did that happen? Because they went over and over and over and over the same path with the same torque digging it in. And so here's what happens with sexual sins in your brain. It's like torque on the engine. So that if I get out in the dirt in my minivan and I floor it, you know what's going to happen? A little bit of dirt's going to fly. A little bit. But if you get out there in a big heavy quad and you hit it in an ATV and that, those tires are going to grip and it's going to fling dirt, you're going to shoot out what's called rooster tails, flying out of the back because it's digging in. And God's Word says sexual sins dig in like that. They impact your body just like the ATVs impact the dirt. And it creates ruts that you can get stuck in if you don't step out of it on purpose. Certain sins, like they, certain sins actually rewire people's brains 
It creates new synapses or digs them in and you start mapping pathways in your brain. And the more you do it, the stronger that pathway gets and then the harder it is to turn. So even if you're in a, in a quad and you're on that stretch of road out there and you get down in the middle of that and you try and turn, it's almost impossible to turn out of that because it's such a deep rut. And you can get those in your head as you re, your brain wires around it. So the brain can also create a hormonal imbalance that leaves people craving for things. There are people who crave chocolate, who crave caffeine, who crave donuts. They, well, the brain is telling them, this is what you need, this is what you need. And by the way, the best way to get rid of that is not to sit a donut in front of you and say, I will not eat, I will not eat, I will not eat. I'm just going to smell it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to lick it. No, I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to put a little bite in my mouth, chew it a little bit, and then spit it out. No, the best way to do it is don't go near donuts. Right? If that's what your weakness is, don't go near them. Don't get a job at Dunkin' Donuts. Don't go near them. Just stay away. And so whatever the sin is in your life, if there is one that you're struggling with, just don't go there. And if you need help not going there, there are tools and people that can help you. And pursuing those sins that really entrench in our brains actually reduce our moral inhibitions so that not only are you more likely to do that sin again, you're even more likely to do other sins because you've already given in to that one. They're triggers, and they just build on each other. Now, on the picture on the screen, some sins have significantly greater consequences in your heart and life. That's a big sinkhole. That opened right in the middle of a state highway. Just boom, it's gone. Fortunately, you don't see any cars in the bottom there. That does happen sometimes. Sometimes whole houses go into sinkholes. But some sins are like potholes, and some sins are like sinkholes. Some are a little bump, and you can get over it more easily. Others just kind of dump your life into a pit. And you need to avoid those sins in particular, all sins especially, but some sins have greater impact in your life. So here's another say it with me. We don't do this every week, but we're doing it several times today, all right? Here's another say it with me. Some sins have significantly greater consequences in my heart and life. This picture is from uh, Arizona DPS, Department of Public Safety. Uh, when I was a chaplain, I got this picture. And it's an actual scene where DPS is called out to the scene. And now, I don't know if you can see, but in the car, see where the guy's standing with a flashlight? Can you guys see that? All right, now, uh, there's, it looks like the side of the car there, but it's not. The side of the car is smashed in. That's a guardrail. So if you see, there's a post up there, and in between the guy with the flashlight and the post, that's all guardrail. There's no side of the car there. It's been torn off. Well, what happened in this sin, I, <laughs> this scene, sorry, it, it was a result of sin. A guy was drinking and then driving, and now he's smashed up in his own car, and it was his own fault 
Thankfully, no one was killed. But your sins, some sins, have a a, a significant consequence. Imagine, I have known of and actually known teenage guys who were drinking and then driving and got in a car accident and killed somebody. Imagine having to live with that for the rest of your life. So we should avoid sin. See, part of it, we know some of the sins that are worse, right? Uh, Sins of physical intimacy, that's worse because the Bible says so. It sins against your own body. But but we don't know the sins that are going to dramatically impact your life. You don't know, but God does. So God says, avoid sin. Then you don't open yourself up to those problems. Now, the good news is, again, that God gives you the capacity to overcome every sin through the instruction of His Word, the indwelling of His Spirit, and the partnership with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have the capacity to overcome. You're not stuck. You may have a little rut there, but you can get out of that rut. All right, you can also learn to glorify God in your spirit and in your body. You can glorify God in your spirit and in your body. Look at verse 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. Now, Paul uses plural pronouns, the plural you here. So he's meaning the people in Corinth, and by application we take it the people here, that this assembly of believers is the body of Christ and the temple of the Holy Spirit. Together, we are the place where people can get right with God and they can learn how to follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The church is made possible by the sacrifice and blood of Jesus Christ and by the faithfulness of His people. I could name several people in this room who, if they had not been in this church 30 years ago, this church would not exist anymore. They helped the church stay alive. And so we, we, have, we are blessed to be part of an assembly of believers, and together we can glorify God in our own bodies and in our own spirit, but particularly in this body of faith and in this spiritual assembly. Now, we skipped over a verse. Which one was it? Look at verse 14. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by His power. You will live forever with the Lord because of the Lord. You're going to live forever with Him because of what He did. So don't think that today doesn't matter. Today is the Lord working on you, in you, through you, for you, and with you. Today is part of your eternal relationship with the Lord. You need to think ahead. Today counts. You can't just ignore what's going on today. You have to realize today is an important part of 
the process God is using to get me to where I need to go to be right with Christ. Now, we like to take days off. I, I honestly didn't like days off for years and years. Sometimes I still struggle with it. Because when I'm working, I know what to do. When I'm off, it's like, what am I going to do now, you know? And Kathy always has this weird list that just doesn't interest me at all sometimes. <laughs> and so, so I str sometimes struggle taking a day off, um, but I've learned to do, get a little better at it over time. And when I was a business manager, I didn't like taking days off. I didn't like going on vacation. In fact, usually when we went on vacation, I took work with me. I took a computer, a fax, and all of that with me on my vacation. And sometimes we'd go on vacation, and then I'd fly off, and then I'd come back, and then we'd drive on a little, and then I'd fly off, and then come back. And uh, I, w I was a little obsessive with it. In fact, one time I said I, I was a little bit of a workaholic, and all my family said, a little bit? <laughs> uh, but, you know, as a believer, we don't really get a day off. You can have a day off work. You can relax, do a couple of household projects. You can read a book. You can have a day off work, but you never have a day off representing Christ or a need to obey Him. And the danger is when we think today doesn't really matter. Because only God knows the significance of that, this day in the rest of our lives. It could make a huge difference. And sometimes just being in the wrong place at the wrong time can really hurt us. So we need to do what we can to try and be at the right place at the right time to avoid that pain. Now, in the old days, don't bring this slide up yet, but in the old days when you had to have smoking areas in businesses, when I first became a business manager, we were required to have smoking areas in the business. And now in a lot of states, you're not allowed to smoke anywhere near a business. Um, but we had to have a, a smoking station, and <laughs> we didn't do what this guy did. This guy had a smoking room in his business, and he wanted to impress upon these smokers the significance of what they were doing. So he painted the ceiling to look like they were down inside the grave. Because <laughs> he was concerned that smoking would put them in an early grave. And so in this picture, one guy staring up at the ceiling, the other guy's totally ignoring it. I want you to use this as a spiritual illustration. Some people are looking ahead. Some people are not. See, you are becoming. You're not stuck. You're making choices that you will live with for the rest of your life. Choices that can impact your rewards and your blessings in eternity. Choices that can make a difference to bring God's blessing into your world or to hinder God's blessing from your world. You are moving closer to the day you will be with the Lord. And move, you can also be moving closer to the Lord this day. The choices you make on any given day can change the future of your life to bring blessings or to bring hardships. And God has boundaries 
But within those boundaries, God said, your choices matter. They matter greatly. So we should try and make wise choices.